Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 11, issue 531. John Wu presents Stranglehold. I am James Carter and joining me in this issue 531 are Leah Hayden. I'm still a little bemused that we are covering John Wu's Stranglehold, but I'm looking forward to it. It's interesting. Questions has to be, had to be asked earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> John Salmon. Hi, and yes, I echo Leah's bemusement. <laughs> and also kind of wonder how I ended up on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and presumably happy to be here, Ryan Joe. Tequila. <laughs> Ryan's happy. Yeah. Ryan's happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm properly happy to be talking about John Wu's Stranglehold, one of those weird little games that I've kind of like kept in my backlog for, I, I mean, it's one that I revisit from time to time more often than I should. So yeah, happy to finally get a chance to chat about it. Was this was this your pick for this volume? It wasn't, was it? It, it wasn't, which is the most baffling thing. To, James, was this yours? How did this end up on the schedule? <laughs> we, we, may, we may as well uh, cover it now. I was going to mention it a little bit later, so... When I saw this, I had a moment where I thought, wait, did I black out and pick Stranglehold by accident? Because I put this on the great spread list that Leon mentions, the list of all the games we want to cover at some point. I put this on like a decade ago, like really close to the start of Cain and Rinse, just because it's a game I played at the time. There were a lot less video games 10 years ago. <laughs> May as well get this out there as well. Thought I had completed, but definitely now having played it, uh, replayed it now, hadn't completed. Um <laughs> And and just thought, yeah, let's talk about that kind of. I like Max Payne. This is a weird curio that that would be interesting to talk about. And I I couldn't work out how it had ended up on here because no one had requested it, including myself, because my pick was Hollow Knight. Uh, I also lucked out with Hitman Three because that was your pick, I think, Ryan. I can't remember. So that was someone's pick anyway. So Maybe, yeah, yeah, this is just know. this is just Leon's gift to me. I did check with him today, <laughs> and we'll talk about the history of this. But not only is this year the fifteenth anniversary of the game, but it's also the thirtieth anniversary of the film that spawned the game. Ooh, so okay. that's kind of why we're we're here today. Uh, the development story. I don't want to spend massive amounts on, but it would be uh, unforgivable to not talk about how this game came to be and what happened around it. So our developers are Midway Studios Chicago. Uh, you will now know them as NetherRealm Studios, famous back then for Blitz the League and Mortal Kombat series, now famous for Mortal Kombat and Injustice, I guess. Also, Tiger Hill Entertainment, which is a multimedia sibling company to Lion Rock, which is John Woo's um, production company, uh, is or was. I can't remember if both are still going. Tiger Hill definitely isn't. The only other credit for Tiger Hill that I could find was an, what do you call it, iOS mobile. That's the word I'm looking for. A mobile game called Bloodstroke. Not played it, no idea. Seems a little bit sort of Stranglehold-esque, but with female protagonist and no license attached to it in that respect, as far as I could tell. Uh, publisher Midway Games, uh, to probably all of us on the call, Midway, big name we all know about, but to anyone who's listening of the age of... 15, maybe even 20 and under, Midway is probably a curio as odd as Atari at this point that's attached to video games but doesn't actually seem to make any video games anymore. Uh, and there's good reason for that, which we'll come to. Uh, director Brian Eddy, who um, came from Pinball, but also worked on PSYOP series, and notably producers, so we're going to get into the kind of legacy of this game or the, the uh, inspiration for this game. Uh, John Woo, um, Hollywood director, and his longtime producing production partner, uh, Terence Chang, known for films such as Hard Boiled, which we'll talk about, The Killer, A Better Tomorrow. These are Hong Kong action films. Uh, also some Hollywood uh, films like Face Off, Mission Impossible 2, uh, Broken Arrow, Bulletproof Monk, Paycheck, 
classics, one and all. The tech behind the game, it has a weird history. It was right at that point of the early sort of 360 PS3 era. Unreal Engine 3 was only coming to fruition partway through development, so it got ported onto that. Havoc was used, as we will know from the game. Stuff goes wild with the physics. Uh, And also Massive D, which technically stands for Massive Destruction, but I think Massive D is far better. This game comes in with that Massive D energy, so I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So that's the destruction model for the game. Uh, you can kind of see this because there's an unlockable video that I watched this afternoon where there's uh, some sort of test footage of the physics model of this with yeah. like built on top of psyops. So it's kind of it's the area from the end of the first level, like the boss fight in the mm-hmm. weird like bar with the big circular staircases. But all of the character models and the HUD and everything are all based off psyops. It all kind yeah. of looks like psyops. So you can see the like the obviously real shared DNA between the two games. And I guess they probably weren't that far apart. I kind of remember PsyOps being like a relatively late original Xbox, maybe PS2 yeah. game, so like maybe 2004 5. They started development of this game. They wanted to use Unreal Engine 3, but it wasn't going to be ready for them to start using. So they actually started making the game in the PsyOps engine, which was, I think, a proprietary engine, um, and then ported over to Unreal Engine 3. So yeah, early stuff would have definitely been PsyOps related and yeah, it doesn't surprise necessarily. But very interesting to know that there is footage out there of kind of a hybrid version, you know, step between Mm. the two. We had one piece of Patreon feedback and uh, ignore the first sentence. I think this is worth adding to the podcast uh, on Patreon where each week there will be a post go out for all our Patreon supporters to provide any feedback they have on the game. And one such person did, a Sludge Wizard in this case, who says, it's not worth adding to the podcast. Hmm, disagree. But I just wanted to say that outside of Final Fantasy Tactics, this is my most anticipated episode of the year, and I'm not even sure why. Never played the game, know almost nothing about it, and have no love for Wu's films, but I'm champing at the bit nonetheless. What a strange and out-of-left-field choice of game to cover. Yeah, and as you heard, we uh, we agree, as does Leon, but that's exactly what uh, the Cane Rinse kind of structure allows us to do. We can pick games because there's an anniversary or because we fancy it and cover those, and if there's something interesting to say, it's worth talking about. Um, and I think there is in this case, because some 30 years ago, Hard Boiled was one of a series of uh, largely unrelated John Woo films uh, in his time in Hong Kong making action films. Chow Yun-Fat uh, and, as mentioned, Terence Chang, collaborators of his across uh, some and or all of these in the case of Terence Chang. Hard Boiled released 16th of April 1992, which is kind of where our weird development calendar begins for this game. I guess 1992 would make it a British film. The great tradition of Monty <laughs> Python. And- sure, sure. I, I actually neglected to put in here the timeline of when Hong Kong uh, was passed back to China. That would have been back in 97. That is I think. Such a bizarre thing to say <laughs> that a country, like, a, a, not a country or a group of people are passed back between between yeah. other uh, owners is just wild, but welcome yeah, to great. the British Empire yeah. and, dare I say, for fear of problems, the, the uh-huh. Chinese regime as well. Yeah, um, the last yeah. maybe three, four years, or probably more than that, probably decade specifically with Hong Kong has not been kind to them. As yeah. They are now, I think, almost 25 years to the day since the handover. It was, I want to say it was beginning or end of July, 97. Yeah, and it's fair to say that as much as the world has changed in the past 25 years, uh, things have changed in Hong Kong as well. 
So this came from that period, that late uh, sort of part of Hong Kong being a, a, a British... Uh, owned part of uh, Asia, which is just bizarre to say. I don't pretend to understand the, any of the politics around that. I just know how bizarre it must sound to anyone who's not aware of that history, um, that Britain just bought a landmass for a, a contracted period of time and then it just got handed back, like a, a leasehold on a building or something. It's just weird. But uh, this came out of a really rich vein of Hong Kong cinema. Anyone who knows their sort of late 80s mm-hmm. uh, into 90s Hong Kong cinema knows there is a lot of great, particularly action stuff. And John Woo is a name that is intrinsically tied to that. So as mentioned, uh, John Woo and Terence Chang had a production company called Lion Rock and Tiger Hill, presumably a play on that uh, in the way that mobile studios now get named these days, uh, was founded in May 2003. The idea behind that was to sort of develop multimedia projects attached to or related to stuff that John Woo was doing in his films. Uh, by summer 2004, there was a verbal agreement between John Woo and Tiger Hill and Midway, and development commenced on this game, Stranglehold, which was um, pitched as being a sequel uh, starring the main character uh, and literally only one other person, as far as I can tell from having double-checked the cast lists, from Hard Boiled. It was to follow the main character and his musical muse, for I guess that's the phrase, but a com- largely completely different story uh, following on from, but not really related to, uh, very little sort of carryover in terms of characters you would expect to be the same that aren't, and, you know, it's not like Hard Boiled finishes and Stranglehold picks up. It's just another story in the tequila verse. Which is funny because, I, I mean, I have been aware of the existence of this game probably about since it came out because I was I would have been working at uh, GameStop around that time. Sure. But I never realized that it was a direct continuation of the... Um, of the films, you know, and, and that, yeah. that it actually is, you know, kind of a direct sequel because it has the same main character until mm-hmm. literally yesterday when I watched <laughs> Hard Boiled for the first time. Uh, so, yeah, that that one was a, a surprise on me. So kind of a neat little uh, little connection there. Presumably watching that filled in all of the blanks, all the questions oh, you yes, had from I the game's story. Completely. Ask me anything Absolutely. about the rich history of Detective Tequila. <laughs> Inspector Tequila, pardon me. Inspector Tequila, yeah. yeah. On first name basis, if we actually knew his first name. Development uh, continued uh, until uh, through Stranglehold being announced in May 2005. There was initially a development team of 30, but grew to about 50, which just to say that about a game tells you something about when it was made, if it's something a game that's supposed to be of this sort of size. This was ostensibly a AAA or close to game uh, at the time, and the notion that that could be a team of 30 or 50 people nowadays is just completely different development periods back in the kind of burgeoning HD era that 2005-2007 represented. Our release, uh, again, speaking to the time period, we have release dates spread throughout September for different uh, territories for Xbox 360, a worldwide release for PC in the middle of that. The PS3 version in North America didn't come to the end of October 2007, and the PS3 versions elsewhere in the world didn't come to the end of November 2007. No idea why. That's just the way these things happened sometimes back then. I think in today's situation, this would have been worldwide release as many platforms as possible all at once, as many territories, you know. That's just not how things happened back then. 
And uh, the other thing worth uh, mentioning is that there, as far as I'm aware, is no backwards compatible way to play any of this, uh, any versions of this game. The Xbox 360 version is obviously still playable on Xbox 360, but it was never made backwards compatible. Mm, there's no digital copy of it either on the 360, no, I don't absolutely believe. Or not. on the it's, PlayStation. It's, yeah, it's one of those that licensing agreements have kind of taken out of circulation. So I still have my Xbox 360 version, but the saving grace, and I don't know how they negotiated this given its uh, unavailability elsewhere, is that in 2019... Um, there was a PC re-release almost out of nowhere uh, on uh, good old games or GOG, uh, as they are now, apologies. Uh, no longer good old games, just GOG.com, um, which is where I then replayed this. As I say, I have the 360 version, but I went PC for uh, this, which comes from an era when you didn't get built-in controller uh, support yeah. as guaranteed. So uh, <laughs> mouse and keys for a third-person shooter is a, a weird, weird thing. So part of the reason I think it's worth mentioning that uh, the game is relatively easy to find uh, pre-owned second-hand copies uh, is because one million sales uh, after six months were reported, which to me sounds quite good. We'll get on to why maybe it, it wasn't so good uh, in the end. But yeah, uh, after about six months, a million sales uh, recorded. I can't imagine it's made loads more than that since then because... Just wasn't the game, you know, there's no sequel coming for people to want to pick up. Yes, it was re-released on PC, but it didn't have that ever-ready, like, Steam and digital sale to fall back on for people to kind of rediscover it. So feels like it might have been a bit of a sort of one-and-done type situation for people picking that up. Um, a development cost of $30 million, so with sales of a million, probably not a huge success. Critically speaking, I was quite surprised, actually, uh, going back, Metacritic, so no Open Critic because Open Critic didn't exist then. They don't go back and like compile um, review scores for uh, for older games generally. Uh, so Metacritic, we're going with this time uh, a seventy-seven on all three platforms. Uh, taking the three hundred and sixty as kind of the most reviewed version. There were fifty-nine outlets reviewing it, so a fair number. Um, Seven point five user score. That was in the middle on three hundred and sixty with one hundred and five users. So not. Loads of users, but Metacritic doesn't tend to get sort of large numbers. So pretty pretty well reviewed, certainly by that period where 7 was still considered a good score. Um, again, times change. Uh, IMDB 7.9 out of just shy of 2,000 ratings. So I was surprised, actually, that it was as well reviewed as that. That may be giving away some of my opinions on it, but... But yeah, some, some quite glowing praise. Lots of use of the word cinematic back when that was something new to games, I guess. Um, the genre I've already already mentioned, I guess technically it's cinematic action, uh, but third person shooter. We've already touched a little bit. I certainly have on my history. So uh, very quickly, John Woo's films probably around the time this came out uh, a couple of years before, maybe uh, I watched a load of kind of uh, Hong Kong, particularly, but also Japanese uh, films, action films of this sort of style, um, and. Uh, and then, so when Stranglehold came out was just when I was kind of getting back into gaming after university sort of era where I only had a PC and only played a couple of different uh, types of games. Um, this jumped out as, oh, hang on, they're making a sequel to Hard Boiled. Yes, I know that film. Yes, I know John Woo absolutely all in. Um, and I think fair to say at that point, I was just happy to play anything that was on a 360 and was shiny and new, uh, a, a mere 20 three-year-old who should have had more taste but you know didn't know better picked this up then 
played it then, thought I'd completed it then, but definitely hadn't. And then uh, popped it on this list, wanting to talk about it for, you know, as I say, 10 years ago on Cain and Rinse. And it just never came up until Leon blessed us with this opportunity, uh, at which point I realized it was already on GOG. So picked it up there and just managed to wrestle with mouse and keys. It's not the way I would have preferred to play this, but it, it works. And it, it, the, the mouse does allow some accuracy, which is nice. Uh, that's kind of my history with it. So I played it over the past sort of week to be fresh. I watched, rewatched Hard Boiled uh, last weekend, uh, which was great fun again. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. Uh, Leah, how about you? Yeah, I kind of mentioned this previously as well, but I did not play this game when it first came out. I was aware of it. I knew about it, you know, and I, I have kind of a limited familiarity with John Woo more as just a cultural touchstone than as a filmmaker that I have any specific knowledge about or familiarity with. I've seen some of his work and generally enjoyed it, but not a uh, not a, you know, huge fan uh, of anything in particular. So I still don't remember why I said I would play this game. <laughs> it was probably because I tend towards the why not rather than the why should I uh, on that list, uh, which is why I'm on so many shows. Um so I yeah, I, I uh, picked up a copy when I knew that this was going to come up in this volume. As I mentioned, my 360 is not it's it's not well, it's, it's mm-hmm. not doing so great. I'm hoping it maybe just needs a little bit of cleaning out. It's maybe just dusty because it, it booted up fine and everything. It just doesn't want to read discs. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, had had a minor moment of panic where I wasn't sure what I was going to do about that and then found the uh, the GOG copy. Uh, so I also played that over about the past week with uh, the mouse and keyboard controls on my laptop. So it was a little bit, we- it was a little bit weird. Um, I-, I have kind of a, like a, a lap desk thing that I was using and I have my, my hands are cramped now because it was a very strange configuration, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So play that about over the past week, watched hard boiled yesterday uh, for the first time ever. And uh, yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed them both, but we'll go into why as, as we go. Uh, John, how about yourself? Yeah, I still have my 360 copy of Stranglehold, which mm-hmm. I'm looking at like achievements and stuff for dates on them. It appears I didn't get it when it first came out because uh, there was the point here. You're looking at the the dates. I think it was like the first couple of weeks of September 2007. That was when I was I moved out of my parents' house for the first time and moved from England to Australia all in one go. Yeah, I probably didn't even have my console hooked up at the point that uh, this actually came out because everything was kind of nuts with the move. But it's one of those ones where because then going to live in Australia, I was like, I haven't got any money because I've moved across the world. And games were quite expensive there unless you did like weird trade-in deals to get games for basically free. So it looks like I picked this up about two years after it came out. And I kind of remember because games were expensive, I'd like go diving in in like, pre-owned bargain bins and i used to just buy everything that was less than about ten dollars because you didn't really see games that were as cheap as that um at that point and i i have some horrible feeling that i bought this for some real sort of two dollar price or something that you would never have seen anything for then it somehow slipped into some like unwanted pile so i i got this i do remember playing it uh Unfortunately, my kind of overriding memories of it, which I think I'll I'll explain more later, are mostly negative. It's kind of tied up with a few quite negative experiences. So 
it was a weird one when it popped up on the show earlier in the year and it was like okay you're on the schedule for this and I was like why why I didn't I didn't expect <laughs> to ever play Stranglehold again like it's a fine game but I didn't ever think that I'd be playing it again like 10 and 12 years later since I last did it um, and I assume it was just one of those ones where I went down the list on the spreadsheet and was like well I did play it at some point so I guess I'll put myself as as Amber on the sheet because I have technically played it yeah coming back up it was like this is going to be a really weird revisit and my 360 or probably three or four 360s since the one that I originally played it on is still running and the the old disc that I got for probably two or four dollars is still there so yeah i've also replayed it over the course of this week and actually i think i've kind of come around a little bit i had a better time with it now than i remember (laughs) in the past so maybe maybe it's actually good that we're talking about this maybe it's like redeemed it in my memory so i'll hand that to it um and hard-boiled yeah i i really wish i'd watched that again the same as you you all have this week that was a movie that i remember very distinctly used to be in that real bargain bin like you'd go into hmv and they'd have their little uh, thing at the end of the aisles where they'd have like one pound or three pound dvds and they always looked kind of bad but i just bought them because they were one pounds or three pounds and some of them ended up actually being really good i remember they had um perpetually had copies of the director's cut of natural born killers for three pounds and i remember getting that and being like oh my god this is actually one of my favorite movies so i remember buying it i think at the time i'd probably seen and really enjoyed face off so i was very aware of john woo but i kind of remember watching hard boiled and maybe it was a bad day maybe there was something and i just don't remember enjoying it particularly and my overriding memory of it is just correct me if i'm thinking of someone else here I remember thinking it was really weird that there was a bit where the guy was wandering about in a maternity ward with a shotgun in one arm and a baby in the other. That's accurate. Yeah. That is, is yes, that no, that definitely that's does movie. happen. Yeah, okay, that is all I remember about the There's film. There's a very drawn-out sequence with babies in that movie that I was not expecting. Okay, yeah, so it's weird, right? It's a weird film. It's, yeah. it's interesting. It's I liked yeah, you, you it. Get, I enjoyed it. But yeah, there's some weird stuff in there. You get Chekhov's babies, and then you Chekhov's. get actual babies, and you get... No, it goes places. Yeah, no, uh, Chow Yun-Fat holding a shotgun and a baby is kind of one of the, the most memorable parts of that film, I think. Good. Well, I'm glad that it's not just my memory playing tricks on me. So, <laughs> no, it's definitely yeah. not. <laughs> I need to see if I've still got that copy of Hard Boiled somewhere in a CD wallet. Oh, it's worth anyone listening. It's worth a yeah. watch. It's really difficult to find, unfortunately. Yeah, like weirdly so. It's not streaming anywhere, even no. like to purchase streaming. But I mm-hmm. mean, you can still find it is all I'll say there. So last but not least, Ryan, how about you? Yeah, so I've got kind of an interesting history with this one. Um, this must have been early enough in the Xbox 360 lifespan to where they were still producing demo discs, maybe, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe this was like at a time where not a lot of games, like high profile games, were like publishing demos. Because I remember very distinctly playing the demo for this, and I don't know if it's one that I would have like sought out if it wasn't something that was kind of like fed to me in the way that a curated demo disc is. Um, but it was one of those situations where, you know, I look back on uh, Geometry Wars as well. And I remember playing that demo to death uh, over and over and over again, because that's mm-hmm. a really good game. And eventually it got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'll just uh, pony up for the full game. And once I bought the full game, I realized there wasn't anything in it that wasn't in the demo that I did want to engage with. And so it was one of those <laughs> things where it's like the demo is so generous that it really contains the heart of the entire experience. 
And um, Stranglehold's really the same way. Like its demo is its first level, which is the best level and like the best part of the game all around, I'd say. Uh, these kind of Hong Kong streets, uh, it, it's more kind of, it's very dynamic. There's a lot of like fun kind of environmental interactions and the real kind of touch point for me, and I, I noticed this is in the um, in the notes later on, but uh, one of the things that really stood out to me is that you very quickly gain this ability to like hyper zoom in on your enemies in slow motion and choose exactly where you want to shoot them with your pistol. It's not even like a sniper rifle type of thing, but it's a similar type of effect. And so you see them kind of shooting at you in this like matrixy slow motion and you get to really kind of like pick your spot where this critical hit is going to land. And um, it's, and then once you shoot, you know, the camera kind of follows behind the bullet. And then when it lands, it spends a couple of seconds with the, with this digital actor reacting uh, pretty impressively, actually, uh, with the number of different places you can shoot them to, you know, yeah. how, how badly they're hurting, <laughs> whether you shoot them in the, in the head or in the arms or wherever, like they have completely different reactions that all seem really kind of realistic. And I, I had so much fun through the demo, shooting people in <laughs> slow motion in the crotch that like anytime I like every time I got the um, my meter filled high enough to where I could engage this like slow motion uh, zoom shot, then that's exactly where I would be yeah. planting my my bullets. And um, I, I'd always be looking for those uh, paper cranes, which is a nice throwback to the movie, kind of a weird like they don't mean the same thing between the two properties, but uh they would refill your meter. I'd always be looking for those. I'd always be looking to do kind of like a crazy tricks so I can get those uh, slow motion crotch shots in again. And I just always thought <laughs> at the end of the level, I'm leaving behind dozens of bodies with bullet holes exclusively in their crotches. And just thinking about the police that come through the next day, like what the hell happened here? What kind of sicko what pervert came in <laughs> yeah, here? Exactly. Uh, but it, it's so fun to watch them kind of like, double over and so i I, i've published this youtube video of um just kind of a compilation of all these men getting shot in the crotch and it's been something that i (laughs) returned to time after time and so it was one of those things where i was like i played the demo quite frequently back in university and i ended up buying the game it was like ten dollars or something really cheap um probably a year or two after its launch and i played it through just to do it just to kind of say that I had, but really like the demo gave me everything that I really needed. I don't feel like I really gained a lot more by playing the rest of the game, but uh, you know, I, I still, I still enjoy the game regardless. Yeah. It's fair to say that this is a game where giving away a demo is kind of dicey because it, I think it's fair to say, I don't know if we all agree. The gameplay is quite repetitive. Mm-hmm. So once you've kind of played one mission, you're not gonna see that much more gameplay wise from the rest of the game so kind of tells you if you like it but equally well you could just replay that demo seven times and you've kind of seen the game so uh worth saying on that um it's i absolutely remember articles around the time probably a month or two before release saying oh bioshock and stranglehold have demos so it absolutely came out at that sort of 360 era where big games were putting demos out some of them worked to entice more people in like Bioshock famously I think a lot of people hold up as one of the best demos because it just brought them in uh, and in this case it sounds like for you Ryan it didn't necessarily I mean you ended up buying the game so I suppose it worked but yeah uh, this one a little bit more of a risky one 
Just while we've been talking, John, you mentioned achievements. Yes. I went back and checked. I absolutely completed this game. I completed it on the 25th of September, uh, oh, so within yeah. 11 days of its release. Uh, I just forgot the last half of the game for some reason. I thought I got stuck on the restaurant because I remember that being a, a sticking point, but I absolutely went on and completed the game. So there we go. <laughs> just I'm, I'm having an evening, apparently. And also, just in case the opportunity doesn't come up to mention this again, on the um, subject of both achievements and uh, nutshots, there is an achievement in this for killing somebody in a multiplayer game by shooting them in the testicles, and the achievement was called Testicle. And just listen up, developers. so good. If you're going to put achievements in your game, (laughs) that is the way you do it. That might be my favorite thing about this game. I feel like there has to be something in, like, not Border... Well, maybe in Borderlands, but uh, in, in like... Sniper uh, Elite. Bullet Storm. That sounds like a Bullet Storm thing to me. (laughs) Definitely. It's John Moo's original vision. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just testicles exploding all over the place. Well, this this then went on to presumably inspire dozens of Sniper Elite games. (laughs) Uh, that were all very strongly based around shooting people in the nuts. So. And, and I, I've been watching some uh, Mortal Kombat 11 from Evil uh, uh, as of time of recording. And yeah, th- that stuff I was like, oh, I just played this in a much more tame version in Stranglehold. <laughs> it's uh, all very much of a piece. But yeah, it, yeah games have, have gone places with that sort of stuff. There, uh, yeah, there really was, a good example there was well. something also around this time. I kind of remember a 360 game that was called Blitz the League that was an American football game uh, made by the same developers yeah. yes i was gonna say i think it's a midway game and it had the proto mortal Kombat like x-ray shot of like when people had a hard tackle you could sometimes get this little clip of it going in and seeing like a bone break and there was one where a testicle exploded there's a lot of a lot of shared so, uh, shared content between this. i can shed some light on almost certainly it was that explicit at some point in this game because one of the few notes that after agreeing the the premise and the story that this game was going to be set in one of the few times john woo kind of interceded was to say this shouldn't be gory it's meant to be stylish and they had to dial back on the gore so knowing that blitz the league has that in almost certainly that exact model was being used here because it kind of seems odd looking at games that have come since like mortal Kombat, that we're not seeing like skulls being cracked and you know actual uh gratuitous sort of shots of body parts being hit it's kind of a bit tame that it is just an explosion of blood and a really funny uh you know reaction uh in in the style of i guess at that point grand theft auto 3 had done kind of like you know individual body part targeting and this had sort of similar dynamic uh impact response from the the enemies i uh i i'm usually fairly indifferent to whether games leave bodies after you have shot at a, a, a an enemy character mm. or if they make them disappear which in this game they do disappear after just a little while and i yep. didn't actually care for that in this because there were some <laughs> there were some sequences where i was able to just kind of bottleneck a lot of dudes and i think that it would have been very funny to just have a growing pile of corpses because they just kept coming like they did not learn i have a shotgun in here and you are weak so yeah it's kind of bizarre that they made such a big deal about the destructibility of the environment but at the end of the mission you kind of can't necessarily see all of the impact you've had on it because bullet holes disappear uh you know uh anything that's been destroyed tends to disappear aside from like a few remnant pieces and bodies disappear. So yeah, it's kind of, it's a a weird, 
uh, it's a technical limitation. Sure. You know, you spin around a few times, and after, as you say, a few seconds, stuff just starts disappearing in the order that it arrived. In the, in the case of uh, bullet holes, um, so yeah, it's definitely a technical limitation, but an unfortunate one, especially given its havoc engine, and we know the fun that can be had with that with ragdolls. So. Speaking of, we've kind of touched a, quite a bit on presentation just there, so I thought I'd uh, introduce one of our pieces of forum feedback and then we'll get into talking a bit more about some of the, the environments and that kind of thing, So I think they're interesting. Uh, so... On our forum, uh, rather than Patreon, where it's a week before where you get the opportunity to uh, say your piece on the game we're covering, on the forum, Jay very kindly creates for the entire volume a uh, different forum thread for each game. So this one has been available since uh, January, and everything through the end of volume 11 will also be available for you to go and uh, say your piece on. Uh, not just for Patreon supporters, this one's for anyone who's a forum member, so please go there, as Grant Jones 86 did, who says, I recently revisited Stranglehold and I had a real blast. It's utterly bonkers, opting for style over practicality, and yet, nailing headshots as you grind down railings in your shoes is something more games should do. Missions are straightforward, and it indulges in the fact that this is clearly a game that wants you to have fun. Visually, it's a bit scruffy, but the appeal here is the destructible scenery. Recalling games like Super Runabout or Reckless the Yakuza missions, Stranglehold takes those ideas of destructive environments and executes them more effectively in levels that encourage aggression, thanks in part to more powerful hardware of the Xbox 360 and PS3. If you like combo-driven shooters like The Club or Mercenaries Mode in Resident Evil 4, but with the style of Max Payne and the gritty locale of Sleeping Dogs, not only do you have great taste, but you are also guaranteed an evening of enjoyable OTT action. A bit like a John, John Woo film then. So yeah, we've talked destructibility. Um, I have to say, when I booted up the GOG version, I was surprised that in the odd shot, some of the environments actually looked quite like nicer than I expected. They didn't have that kind of fuzzy 360-era version of HD where things weren't quite as sharp as you might expect. Uh, I don't know if that was just because it was a PC port and, you know, can easily be run these days quite smoothly. That's not to say that I didn't get tired of kind of the restaurant and the penthouse and the museum all kind of being similar layouts and similar designs, but um, the, the environments kind of struck me certainly more than the character models as as looking reasonably good for a 15-year-old game. How did we all feel about the, the way the game presented itself to us? I think the texture work is really strong. Um, the environments are really densely populated, which is nice, something you didn't always see back then, especially for these types of games that feature kind of a lot of enemies on screen at once. They try to have kind of big open arenas rather than these kind of like dense labyrinthine type of arenas with a lot of objects to do tricks off of and stuff like that. You know, I guess in in a way, it's sort of like a proto sunset overdrive in a way, because it kind of incorporates a little bit of like Tony Hawk grinding down rails and, you know, using environmental objects to kind of throw yourself into slow motion uh, it, it doesn't lead into like combo chains in the same way, but I feel like if they did a sequel, we'd probably be looking at something that's uh, a little bit closer to that. But uh, yeah, as far as the way it looks, yeah. environmental destruction, I, I think it's still pretty impressive. Like when bullets are sent into walls and pillars, like they break away in um, smaller chunks than you were used to seeing in that time. It all felt, you know, fairly procedural. I've been pretty impressed with the the way that this game looks as well, you know, considering its age. I agree that it 
can get a little exhausting to be in the same environment and to be coming Mm -hmm. over that same environment. And within each environment, there's maybe not that much variety, but it's nice that it's all kind of, I mean, it's, it's no Metroidvania, right? But there's also multiple ways to get around in some of these environments. There's various paths that you can take to kind of explore things. And and that's not always the case. Sometimes you're literally just being funneled down a hallway or a sewer or whatever. But a lot of the time when you get into those big arenas, there's a lot that you can do. And sometimes that destructibility is is affecting the fights themselves. I, there's one that I, I can't actually remember which boss fight it is, but I do remember that there is a boss fight where you are going around the upper or you can go around the upper level and like it eventually just kind of collapses because the enemy that you are fighting can shoot explosives at you and just kind of break big holes in the floor. And uh, yeah, so, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for kind of how they used the environment instead of just kind of putting a bunch of chest high walls and letting it go. Yeah, I think it kind of speaks to the way that I like to play with the the kind of the stylish action of this is that I've done this entire playthrough this week and they do tell you at the beginning of the game that you can press one of the bumpers to like snap into cover. But man, I never used cover, not not even once during this playthrough. Mm-hmm. And maybe I managed to get away with that on normal. I assume on the more difficult difficulties, it's it's probably an absolute requirement. It's very sort of set PC when you're you're going through one of the levels and there is there is unfortunately a lot of things that kind of blend together but when you come to like the huge room with massive jade dragon statues or like a big t-rex fossil skeleton or the big circular room with the band playing in the middle where for some reason they decide for one point in the game they're going to add like a an extra sort of challenge of like don't let the band get killed as well like it kind of sticks out and yeah like I'd forgotten about a lot of this stuff before but I think the um the way that kind of the rooms and stuff change when you go through, like you can see when you first enter one of these big arenas, the paper cranes particularly do a really nice job of showing you where the bits that you can run up and potentially climb across and the things that are going to make what you do look cool. Like you can, you know, if you go up onto this ledge and then dive over this balcony in this certain way, you're going to like skim the top of a statue where there's a, you know, there's a paper crane. And not only is that going to help you in the gameplay, but man, that's going to look really cool when you do it. Somebody who's designed these levels and these set pieces kind of knows the way to draw, you know, like draw the attention to it and make things look good. But it is a little bit of a a trade-off with a lot of very kind of dingy corridors and sewers and things in between those set pieces. This is one of those games where the paper cranes and the flashing health packs and stuff persist during the story cutscenes as well. So that can be a little bit funny. <laughs> the in particular one I remember is when you're on the helicopter doing the uh, sort of the mm-hmm. turret sequence there. You can see the flashing points where you're supposed to go and plant the explosives to destroy the ship yes. in the next section. And I thought that I was supposed to shoot. Like, I thought maybe those were secrets or something. So I was Absolutely. trying to shoot yep. them. And I was like, why mm-hmm. can't I shoot them? Am I missing something? And then, of course, it makes sense once you uh, once you actually get into the next section. But, uh, but yeah, those, yeah. Are, those are already yeah. there. There's a there's a scene towards the end where um where Tequila is confronting like one of the main villains who has his daughter at gunpoint or something like that and there's this big you know floating paper crane circling like right behind him and it's so hard to kind of take the scene seriously when you have this big video gamey object just kind of hovering right off screen 
know, somebody else mentioned that about a different game. I think it was Psychonauts recently. And I don't know, I maybe maybe my brain is just broken in a very particular way, but that's never really bothered me. I don't know. I mean, it's a part of the world, so it's just I how things so, work yeah. there. Yeah. You know, these <laughs> these guys they know that, that there's a uh, that there's a paper crane behind their head. They're they're asking you not to look at it, and they'd appreciate it if you went along with that. Yeah, and please don't collect it and then shoot me with a precision shot in my testicles. <laughs> and it, it can be overstated. It's kind of ridiculous that he's picking up paper cranes. It makes no sense. He's not the character that makes paper cranes. Right. They don't meet. They they have a much different meaning they're quite significant in the film but there's no reason they should be giving him energy to do uh, he really he really gets off on other people's kills i don't know i don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah. and just as another weird little tidbit there's another unlockable video on the uh on the game disc where some guy just spends like two minutes showing you how to make a paper crane and then puts it in a river and it floats down a river and i'm looking at that thinking i could start making paper cranes it seems really easy but <laughs> does this mean that heavy rain was also inspired by hard boiled? Oh yes, absolutely. I can make origami frogs, but I've never tried cranes. Oh, are the frogs the ones that you oh, press the, them the, down and they leap? And they jump. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, I need, yeah, I need to look at that as well. <laughs> cranes can't do that. You're rubbish cranes. So that's not the only odd thing in the uh, game. The other thing that stands out and I think still stands out, but it's very much of that time. And so you kind of, I guess, let it go, is there is dynamic in-game advertising. Uh, There was a deal struck between Midway and Double Fusion, I believe it was called, uh, for posters and billboards in-game that would show real-life advertising that would dynamically update. This was very mid-2000s, look what we can do now, video game consoles are permanently connected to the internet and we can update games. There was at least one racing game around that time that did something, that did that, and I can't remember which one it was. Was it it Burnout Paradise? They famously had the campaign campaign ads for Obama in it. (laughs) Um, I've I've got a ton of pictures on an old uh, old phone camera somewhere of, I believe it's Midnight Club LA, with adverts for Rustler's Burgers all over the place. And it seems so (laughs) incongruous, because if you're not from the UK, Rustler's are like these very cheap, very poor quality snack burgers and chicken burgers and stuff that you just stick in the microwave for a minute. But they're like known to be student food come home at the end of the night absolutely drunk off your ass stick of rustlers in the microwave and it was just hilarious seeing them all over this game at one point but i mean normally it's a little bit less incongruous than that but i mean i didn't even notice them in stranglehold to be honest there are a couple of points where like i i mean i'm i'm guessing that they they probably don't actually function anymore but i i did notice no, the midway not. logo on a couple of things like oh, there's yeah. there's a building yeah. that you can see the Midway logo on, and I think there's something else. Like maybe it's yeah, a, maybe it's a um, billboard. Their but. offices used to be in Chicago, so yeah, I think you can see they're building at various mm. points through the Chicago penthouse level. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so the other dynamic thing about the game, which kind of affects the presentation, which is uh, weird, but was a bullet point that was made in this kind of uh, build up to this game, was there's a dynamic aspect to the enemies that isn't just how they react to where you shoot them, but in order to avoid repetition amongst kind of these enormous waves of enemies that come at you, they made a bunch of modular body parts and then mix and match them to kind of make the enemies look different. I'm not convinced this works terribly well. They all looked, I mean, well, not, they didn't all look exactly the same, but there were types, you know, like there's the guys yeah, that run at enough, you and they? try to, to shoot you and stab you. And then there's the guys that shoot this type of gun and the guys that shoot this type. Yeah, it's, there, there yeah. were, um, it, it seemed to me 
that there were uh, categories and uh, within those categories, they were all pretty similar. But uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough. I didn't notice the like the actual body parts changing, but there were scenes where I did. uh, What's the little thing? Is it the standoff mechanic where it like puts the target on screen and you kind of whip around in a circle and Mm -hmm. shoot them? I noticed bits like that where I, I either failed the, the standoff or like died not long afterwards and started the scene again with it. And the the guys would, they wouldn't look massively different, but I noticed on a few occasions that they'd have like different colored clothes or something on. I don't know if it's literally just a palette swap because I think most Maybe. of the levels, yeah, it's the that. enemies are like they have their standard outfits that they wear. So there was one where mm. I was doing this standoff thing and the suit colors kept yeah. switching between being gray and being green. Yeah, but they're always going to be the same suit, and they still kind of feel the need to distinguish the different gangs that you're facing up against and the different members of the different gangs by having them all in the same style of outfit, and then they just swap out slightly different tones of color, and you know, some will have headbands, some won't. That kind to of thing. To be fair, so, it seemed like they did that. Mm. Uh, that they did that in um, Hard Boiled as well. Um, that was part of. Fair. Part of the reason Absol- that you yeah, can distinguish absolutely. the different gangs that you're dealing with is because some of them are in suits that are a little bit yellow and some of them are in suits that are a little bit blue. And at heart, aren't we all just mods and rockers? <laughs> yes, basically. R- Ryan, um, <laughs> significant differences in the testicles? <laughs> you know, I think um, <laughs> there was a very particular hairstyle that was like a receding hairline I saw very frequently throughout this game that is kind of my predominant memory of what enemies look like. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there is, you know, a decent attempt at variety in there. Yeah, as I say, it was it was kind of a bullet point in the kind of pre-release uh, materials to say, hey, look, we're doing this really cool thing. I'm not sure it works incredibly well, but it's, as John, you say, as you go through the same sequence again, you kind of start to notice that, oh yeah, they are changing things. And that's something that wasn't commonplace, so worth to noting. To be fair, there are a lot of enemies so it'd be yep. very surprising in it like yeah. today if if they were able to do that volume of uh of targets without have some, having some kind of repetition some kind of repetition yeah yeah absolutely um so in terms of presentation we also need to talk about our ears uh, not literally uh, our ears, but what happened to our ears while playing th- I don't know where I'm going with this uh, music so uh, this game is kind of along with a lot of games of the time, but also um, Midway games, they seem to have a bunch of different composers who were brought in at different times to contribute. Um, But what is of note is some of the other games that these people worked on, sometimes together, sometimes with other people, um, there's there's a real um, pedigree here that's worth noting. So Jim Bonney uh, is listed as one of the composers who had worked also on Bioshock Infinite Mafia 3, uh, Jamie Christofferson, who worked uh, on Bionic Commando, Lost Planet 2, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Chris Velasco, who worked on the original God of War games, Borderlands, Borderlands 2, Mass Effect 3. Um, and Sasha Dekisian, I believe that's pronounced. Apologies for pronunciation if any of these aren't okay. Um, Quake 2 and 3, Unreal, Prototype, Mortal Kombat, Injustice, and Deus Ex, Mankind Divided. So loads of games these people had worked on. I can't find a great list of who worked on which tracks, who contributed. Mostly, the soundtrack, wherever I can find it, is here is one track for each level, here's a theme song, and here's the like the closing credits songs, because those are slightly different in terms of there's two tracks which are attributed to somebody else which are technically licensed tracks although they were written for this 
both by Serge Tankian, who fans of System of a Down will know as one of their songwriters and the main vocalist for that band, um, who contributed The Essence of Tequila, which is kind of the main theme, and Chica Kong is the cl- the sort of rocky closing credits um, so- track that's on there. Um, so yeah, kind of all over the place. I, I don't know how to attribute credits other than just read those out and say these people were involved, uh, with the exception of Serge Tankian, who obviously... It can be attached to particular tracks. Any thoughts on music? I don't remember being particularly impressed necessarily. I think my memory, and I could be remembering this wrong. Maybe I just had my audio settings a little bit weird, but I remember it being mostly kind of ambient noise rather than having like a music bed underneath most of the most of the game. Um, but uh, and then I kind of remember like music kind of lazily wandering in and out during gameplay. Uh, there's a couple kind of fun moments like the uh, scene where you're in the the restaurant and kind of circling your way up and you have those guitar cases with you. There might even, yeah, the, the sequence with the band playing. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, for the most part, it's it's pretty, you know, utilitarian. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. The, um, the section with the band was one that really stuck out to me. And I think that there's an interesting mechanic going on there where, so you're in this um, like big oval restaurant section with a bandstand in the middle and there's a band of i don't know maybe like four or five guys with different instruments and the one of the mechanics is that either you can shoot them or they can like get in the way of the enemy fire and get killed and i think the playthrough where i successfully got through that level or got through that bit the saxophone player at the front front man of the band got shot and killed and it doesn't actually fail you but the they're instructed by like the bad guys to just keep playing and when the the saxophonist died the saxophone track in this in the background music stopped and i thought that i remember thinking that that was kind of cool like i kind of would have just expected that that was like a one layer piece of music that went over it and maybe you know i should have actually experimented with this because it is kind of cool like maybe if you also kill like the drummer or the piano player it takes those elements of the track out of it. It, so. it does. Uh, I I didn't get the saxophone player killed, but I got somebody else killed. I want to say it was the I might have been the drummer, but yeah, it because it if you actually it might have been both because it, if you get at least one of them killed, or if it looks like you're going to get one of them killed, then you'll get like a tooltip that says, "Hey, make sure at least one of the band members stays alive." I'm like, all right, well, I could probably keep one of them alive. It seems arbitrary, but you know. No one, there's no one left to come and fire them afterwards, and I'm pretty sure the <laughs> restaurant just blows up immediately anyway. So. <laughs> See, it's kind of odd, because whenever I shoot them, then he just starts playing the saxophone really high, so I don't know what's, uh, what's going on there. Uh, yeah, I know, I, know oh, I, keep, I keep going on about this, but again, like if you've got this, if you've played through this and you've unlocked your style points, do yourself a favor and go and purchase all the little unlockable videos and artwork from John Wu in the, uh, the Unlock Shop, because there's some um, just really kind of useless videos of just like um animation tests and things like facial expression testing which looks absolutely it's atrocious and very laughable but they also play one of the like really sort of heavy action music pieces over some of these little tests of just like models t-posing and spinning around (laughs) and it seems so out of place and that was like the only only spot in the game where i think i was actually stopped and going like oh there's music in the background of this and it seems really unusual (laughs) And then also the um, the whole thing with Serge Tankian, like, uh, does he sing on these um, these tracks that play over the game? Because I'm pretty sure I would have recognised that man's voice, and I did not realise it was him at all. 
No, so the essence of tequila is a musical piece. Chica Kong, I want to say that's all musical as well. It's it's rocky and and it sounds something closer to uh, the sort of music you'd expect. Essence of Tequila is uh, like a um, strings piece. Uh, it's it's okay. not rock. It's really sort of ambient. It's what plays over the 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 um, title screen. Yeah, n- not what you'd think at all. I'm almost wondering if that's misattributed to him. But no, it's, I wouldn't be that sure. In, sev- in several places, it's listed as one of his tracks. So it makes sense because at this point in time, we're talking 2007. System of a Down had either broken up or gone on hiatus after their like fourth, fifth album. They were just about because 2005 was the last yeah, album. Yeah, and Serge released, I think, his first solo album in 2007. And at the same time, like he's obviously kind of an orchestral operatic guy. If you listen to his voice, yeah, you know, yeah. he's like that. And he was also releasing live sets with like full big bands and orchestras and choirs and stuff behind it. So I can kind of imagine that he might have something to do with a string piece. Like it makes some sense. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Uh, as I say, wherever I could find it, it was attributed to him. So we'll absolutely go with that. But it's not one that you can easily find uh, sort of track by track list of the soundtrack with all uh, everyone accredited uh, appropriately so um but speaking of things which are slightly odd and out of place so the original films as you can imagine being from hong kong are largely cantonese i'm sure there are dubs out there but they were originally recorded in cantonese with subtitles this is not despite the fact that uh, a large proportion of what you're hearing in terms of vocals is going to be from Chow Yun-fat, who speaks Cantonese uh, and can speak English and does uh, perfectly well. But it's kind of bizarre that they had... Well, it's not. I get. I know why they made that choice, because their market for this game, they thought, was mostly Western English-speaking video gamers. But it just feels like if you want to be true to a sequel to Hard Boiled, it seemed like an odd choice anyway. I don't know if that particularly bothered anyone else, but having just watched Hard Boiled and then sat down to play this, I was suddenly uh, struck by that distinction. I wouldn't say that it bothered me, but if it had been an option, I probably would have. Uh, I, I I like when it's available to play games in, with just with subtitles in in whatever the native language isn't quite right, but what in whatever the uh, language should be, air quotes should be. Mm-hmm. For that setting, I I, I usually kind of like to do that. What bothered me more was that there aren't any subtitles, and I unless I just missed them, unless somebody's about to tell me that I'm just dumb. No, no, I couldn't find them either. First thing I check in the menus okay, always. Well, yeah, it's good to know I didn't just miss them. Yeah, I mean it, it's not wasn't a huge issue for me, but I like to have subtitles because I'm always afraid I'm going to miss something. Uh, so yeah, kind of disappointing. So one thing, just quickly, as an aside from that, one of our three-word review contributors, Andrew Elmore, pointed out on Twitter that uh, in the menus, I'm not sure if it's all versions of the game, but there are some colour settings to allow you to customise the colour because at the time people were kind of stuck between do you have a flat screen HD TV or do you have a CRT TV? So there was some customization could be done there. That's kind of the only accessibility thing in the menus though, but it's worth shouting out because that's not necessary. It's of the time, but it's not necessarily something that you would have expected every game to take into account. A really impressive economy of words for a three word review. <laughs> yeah, this was an, <laughs> it wasn't the three word review. Don't worry. <laughs> it's not going to come up. It was just mentioned in an adjacent tweet. Thank you for that, Andrew. It's an interesting uh, point to to bring up. The the dialogue, as mentioned, English only. 
we can go through here, I guess, makes sense because the story, I don't think we're going to go through character by character by any stretch. Um, the two characters, as far as I can tell, who come from Hard Boiled are Inspector Tequila Yen himself, uh, Chow Yun Fat, played by Chow Yun Fat, speaking English, as mentioned. Uh, this character is your classic Dirty Harry, Frank Bullet loose cannon policeman who's got right on his side but you know ruffles everyone's feathers and gets into trouble and gets his badge taken away and probably is overzealous and shoots before uh thinking or asking questions modeled after those two characters also plays clarinet um (laughs) because that's something they decided in the film um surprised we didn't get more leaning on that in the game but it's literally not aside from the fact that the club owner where uh, tequila plays in hard-boiled is also in this um game played by john woo the character is called mr woo those are the only two who come from hard-boiled as far as i can tell none of the others are meant to be the same the character names aren't the same the actors aren't the same so i'm assuming for example the captain uh, now Captain Lee was Superintendent Pang, so different character who's his boss. Uh, his love interest in this game, an ex in the film, uh, the one of his colleagues who he's in a relationship with, they are completely different characters. So this completely takes tequila out of almost everything to do with Hard Boiled. Um, I bolded two characters in this list because there are only two women in this game. One is tequila's ex-partner presumably wife uh billy wong the other is his daughter tico wong they are the only two women characters in this game and they are both for almost everything they do kidnap victims and to be rescued by him that's great that's Mm. pretty that is pretty much uh in line with the film though because i there i mean there are a couple of like background characters and extras and things that that are women but for the most part, it's kind of just his uh, his love his love interest, whose name I have uh, actually forgotten. That's how great of a character it's she is in the film. Teresa, yes, thank you. And she spends a large part of her time in the film pining over babies because she's a woman. So for sure. um, yeah. That- yeah, I I actually did have a question and maybe you guys can help me with this. I think I know the answer, given how we've talked about it so far. But there's no. Mm intervening movie or like any kind of other content in between these two right because it did strike me as weird once i found out that this was not the first entry in uh, inspector tequila's saga that he has this uh ex-partner or, or ex-wife or baby mama or whatever whatever she is to him um yeah she sure. she is never mentioned and is a completely different character than the relationship that they set up in the film. So, I, I mean, I guess it's 15 years, so his daughter could probably be about that age, I guess. But it it just it seems odd that they brought this whole background story with the two of them in when they had another character there. And I, I was just wondering if there is any other content that that kind of makes that connection. It, it sounds like a no, but I'm I'm interested. Not that I've ever seen. I mean, so Tiger Hill was set up to be a multimedia like comics, games, all sorts. I don't know whether the plan was to have comics to fill in story or to to flesh this out with other stuff, but I was really surprised as well. And not only that, but Billy Wong and Tika Wong, uh, Tequila's former partner and daughter, are daughter and granddaughter of Jimmy Wong, who is a gang leader. When the gang, the, the main antagonist and gang leader in hard-boiled is called johnny wong 
and it's never indicated whether there's a relationship there. It doesn't have to be. Plenty of people can have similar surnames, but in fiction, generally, if you're calling someone the same surname, it indicates a relationship. That's what that, you know, people tend to steer clear of that for confusion's sake. And it's just not mentioned. So it's one of those where, I mean, they could have, even without the same actors to play the parts, I'm sure people would have looked past that. But it's just, it's kind of strange, yeah, that there's almost no uh, connecting threads aside from main character and John Woo. I think to be fair, the character is aged up, you know, quite considerably between the movie and the time at which he would have been, you know, they didn't make him look like he was as young as he was when he filmed the movie. And so maybe it would have, if they had kept more continuity between the two, it would have come across like his life had been kind of stagnant in the time, in you know, the decades in between, or I guess the decade and a half in between the the film and the game. Yeah. So yeah. maybe a little bit of like just admission that uh, that life continues on and, and, and continues to be complicated is uh, kind of par for yeah. the course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's, there's also a couple of scenes in this, I think, where they snap back and you get like a little like 18 years earlier thing. Uh, when the Jimmy Wong is like taking Billy away or like there's a scene on the tarmac or something. And it is kind of weird that I don't think they changed a Chow Yun fat model at all in the, for the two different <laughs> 18 true. year yeah. periods. Gosh. And then 18 years would have put it before the movie. And so he would have had to have been like in a relationship during the movie. Yeah. I don't know just, why they, just, it doesn't work. Presuming both are set contemporaneously. We don't necessarily know. <laughs> this is alternate I, I universe uh, tequila. I wonder if they, if they chose 18 years so that they can put his daughter in like a precarious situation without it being too oh, like, God, I hope not. I don't know. It's a weird I decision. mean, I wouldn't I be surprised, yeah, yeah. but I really hope not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I have a, I have beef with Tico Wong because at the very last scene, when you, when, you know, you're, you're her father, you're in there to rescue her. Great. Awesome. But you don't actually kill her grandfather. She does by pushing him over the balcony when he's about to shoot you. One, could you not have done that 10 minutes ago before I had to shoot 400 <laughs> people in this courtyard at a helicopter? Yeah. That's all. I, I, I just I just had to get that out. And he had taken like 15 shots to the head at yes, that point already. At and least. the balcony is what's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, video yeah. games. Yeah, it's, it's a weird ending. But uh, yeah, I, I guess supposed to mean that she's making the choice to put herself in harm's yeah. way to try and save her dad, which I, but her yeah, dad, I didn't, really didn't need saving met, at that which point. Is an interesting choice as well, but <laughs> yeah, because she lives in Chicago, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And she has been shot at yeah. that point as well in the shoulder or something. That's true, she yes. in the arm, yeah. And she got better though. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. Video games. She grabbed a health pack. It's fine. <laughs> um, it's true. Yeah. So uh, the, the other characters in, in this game are variously associated with one of the three triad gangs they are presented as uh dragon claw golden cane or imperial nines or the russian gang i mean we're really going for the stereotypes here folks uh Enemies the of America. Who are two two brothers who are uh, who are the kidnappers originally and are trying to muscle in on hong kong uh by aligning with one of the triad groups i'd put a spoiler warning about any of this i don't think anything we've said so far actually spoils the story of this game necessarily but in, I promise you, folks, the playing of this game is not going to be about the story. The setup is there's a triad war between three different triad gangs, as mentioned. A police officer is kidnapped. It's not clear by whom. There's a ransom demand and te- uh, Inspector Tequila goes to investigate against orders. Uh, at some point has his badge taken. I didn't. I missed when that happened, apparently. 
he investigates and stumbles onto a deal going on uh, between two of the gangs and then twists and turns abound. I, I, stop me if I'm wrong, it didn't actually matter that much. Tequila's killing anyone who's in front of him with a gun to get his former partner and daughter back. That's about the size of it throughout the whole thing. I'm pretty sure he just ends up killing everybody. Pretty apart much, from, yeah. Apart from the daughter and the police chief, is there a single character who doesn't die during this? That uh, single there's a couple person? that don't die by Tequila's yeah. hands. Yeah, what, the um, Golden Cane boss, Young, uh, he is killed. He's killed by Depang, I think, one of the henchmen. Anyway. Yeah, he doesn't kill his That's, wife. Somebody else kills his wife, but she does die. Sure, yeah, she gets she gets shot by Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that one of the bosses um, jumps from a window from above into a helicopter as it is like flying, and so I don't know how he didn't die yeah. by getting chopped I, to I pieces like by the that, blade. Yeah. Very but, uh, carefully, he has bullet yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, there is also a bit where um, Tequila and Jerry are running away from the. Uh, the restaurant which is very conveniently mm-hmm. exploding in bits behind them rather than all one big explosion and they they do a very high jump into a speedboat absolutely fine boat starts moving half a second after they land and it's like yeah <laughs> seems unlikely but you know video games it's it's action film uh, sort of rules um yeah so there are lots of twists and turns i think they're meant to be more dramatic than they kind of come off because essentially you're presented with a bunch of gang bosses a bunch of henchmen you'd clock immediately who the bosses are because they're the ones that look different to the regular enemies they are bigger they uh, are dressed differently and they actually look they like sick individual characters exactly definite scars abound on all of the bad guys here yeah all that stuff going on and and the the upshot is as as Leah you mentioned everyone dies except for Tequila his daughter and the um, police captain who now pops up at the end to return Tequila's badge which he's already made perfectly uh, clear he's not interested in getting back uh, at all anyway and he's but, somehow uh, pretty chilled about a man who's I think in my game killed thirteen hundred people and destroyed like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of either millions or billions of dollars of property uh-huh. across two cities. Police chief seems pretty right. He comes in at the end and he says, "Oh, there's going to be a lot of paperwork here." <laughs> and I think that's yes. it. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is that is basically the ending. Yeah, um, I I remember my body count uh, because it was very close to being very funny. I killed one thousand three hundred and thirty-eight people. <laughs> that's very <laughs> one very too many. One too many, just you. barely. Well, this just goes to show ACAB. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it, so. This game also came out same year as Uncharted, and that's a criticism that's level that Uncharted is just how many murder people. simulator exactly. Yeah. And and I I think I mentioned playing through this, I was surprised just how like every single sort of large room arena you go into has at least six entrance ways for enemies to come in, and they just circle around between them. They space it out in a two, very funny a way to me, because, like, yeah. and, and, and I mean, I guess they kind of had to do it this way if they were going to give you this many people, because, you know, you can't just, well, you could, but it would it would be very difficult to just throw, you know, however many people are in one of these encounters, say 30 or 40 or 50 people, all at once but but the way that they dribble it in is like there's a bunch of dudes and then one door in the side opens and like four more dudes file in and get shot and then another door opens and like four more dudes file in i don't know i just found that very funny their clown cars are pulling up right outside. pretty much yes (laughs) 
I mean, literally, in, in the case of the, uh, I think it's the restaurant level, one of the levels, I mean, literally, they're they're jumping bolts into the place to get at mm-hmm. you, the, the Imperial <laughs> Nines. I think from a you know gameplay point of view, the yeah. the reason behind some of this is they have to throw enough enemies at you that you can kill in cool ways to build up your tequila bomb meter yeah, well, so that yeah. you can do like the one thing to the boss that actually damages them. And to, to be fair, uh, let's get this right out of the way here. Also in the film, like he doesn't, he, the only time he reloads his gun, he does, it's not even a reload. He loads up his shotgun just to make the point. He's about to kill a lot of people in hard boiled. I don't think he ever really reloads his gun. He might check at one point when he's got an empty chamber and, and can't kill someone and is disappointed. But, they completely remove reloading as a mechanic. Before I started playing this, I was like, it would be really funny if they didn't have a reload mechanic because I'd forgotten, yeah, no reload mechanic. You just fire a gun until it's empty and then pick up another one and go. Um, And 120 bullets is what you've got if you pick the gun up and and you just keep firing, which is uh, a really fun nod to the fact that, yeah, you know what you're in for. There are a couple of points in Hard Boiled in which he empties his gun after a firefight. So it's like he just yes. had bullets to spare. <laughs> yeah, infinite. I didn't even Absolutely need these. Infinite, yeah. Just showing off at that <laughs> yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, that is the, the game kind of through and through. I think probably we've kind of covered most of what the, the story is here. It's whatever it needs to be to let you kill people stylishly is, is what we're going for. And um, Bosses-wise, uh, before we crack on with gameplay, I think it probably makes sense just to highlight the bosses. Um, there are not quite one per level. There are There is at least one level, I think, where there's not a boss at the end of it. But we have uh, Kwong Fang, who wears a gold suit and fires rockets at you. Tai Lok is the one where you are in a circular environment and you have to knock down statues onto I think him. that's the one that uh, I was thinking base- of where you can where like it dis- mm. the top le- the top level kind of breaks down sure. as he shoots yeah. you. Yeah, he is he the one who starts throwing grenades at you like halfway through it as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um then there's quite a cool one where you're running through uh, a a sort of glass environment. Uh, there's lots and lots of lasers kind of coming out. You're chasing the boss through until finally he gets in he drops Definitely safely into a helicopter and uh, start shooting at you. There's an, uh, Damon Zakharov, uh, where you basically he's got a shotgun and is shooting you from the other side of the arena, knocking you down every single time. I don't know how he's doing that. It's really impressive shooting uh, amongst some terracotta warriors. Uh, you then fight your alter ego, where he tequila dives all over the place. You fight a helicopter, as I think, Leah, you'd mentioned. Sure, you just fight a helicopter. Why not? And actually, surprise, some of these bosses are surprisingly easy to take down if you find the correct tequila bomb, we'll get to it, to use. Usually barrage, uh, if we're honest. Now, I will say that I never really used those, honestly, which made yeah. things... I used my tequila bombs mostly for healing. Although I didn't really need to, for the most part. Yeah, for some reason, my meter kept on getting used up. Oh, yeah, weird. I don't, I don't <laughs> too know. Too many crotch shots, Ryan. Too bizarre. many crotch shots. <laughs> so the, the benefit of Barrage being that you're invincible while you use it, and uh, yeah, you can knock down a couple of these bosses really easily. And finally, the last boss is a two-header, Wong and Depang, who Wong is incredibly accurate with a sniper rifle and very aware except for his granddaughter pushing him over a balcony. <laughs> uh, and Depang surprisingly easy to take down with dual shotguns. 
It's a Pang who is, unfortunately, when you actually meet him on one of the cutscenes early in the game, it actually is this, like, really intimidating figure. Like, he's about twice as tall as everybody mm. else. Huge guy with tattoos all over him. And then the boss fight, his animation looks absolutely bizarre. He's running yeah, at you yeah. with, like, a full shotgun in each hand. And he kind of looks like he's sort of... Imagine, like, the way that a horse trots, like, the way they sort of pick their knees up. He's kind of coming <laughs> at you like that, and suddenly his size is, like, the same as the normal enemies. He just looks like an absolute joke, and you have, like, somehow have, like, an infinite number of respawning gold pistols around the arena, and many, many, many enemies and uh, cranes everywhere. So you just turn the barrage on with the golden pistols, and he goes down in, like, yeah. one barrage. It's it's such a weird anticlimactic guy. And all these bosses also have kind of character portraits that are not flattering at no. all. <laughs> yeah, you posted They're all kind of pulling comedy faces or something. Uh, they all look really badly sunburned or constipated in their portraits. And it's, yeah, not a, not a good look. There's an aspect of Max Payne face going on. Yeah. It's, it's way better than that original game but there's an aspect of that where they're pulling kind of pained looks and yeah they've got a certain amount of facial rash going on of some kind yeah what made me think that the Mm. last part was the last boss fight was uh, particularly Mm. difficult wasn't the bosses it was the fact that the enemies just continually respawn I yeah they they just because I, I, I figured out relatively early on after I took down um, Depang, I like. There's a spot kind of next to the um the staircase where you can lean out, pop tequila time, and just shoot uh Jimmy Wong uh, like in the head a bunch of times, and then duck back mm. into cover before he shoots you. And I um, yeah. abused that yeah. pretty significantly because he he can't hit you from oh. that spot, and he doesn't really move. So. Well, I think there's a part yeah, in there where plenty, he does Plenty move, of but... these bosses have that. Yeah, you need to kind of uh, abuse their ability, your ability to shoot around cover or around a pillar where they can't get to you. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's lots it of that. It took a while, uh-huh. but but it was relatively safe. Yeah. The, so the one thing I will say about this is I've mentioned that there's like six, sometimes eight different doors that enemies burst in through. I'm kind of surprised they don't avoid them coming through the door that you're right at. Given there's so many others, it, you'd think it would have been easy to say, "Let's not this one. This this time around, not this one." Because the number of times I suddenly just had a door burst open next to me and three guys—not that it was a challenge—it just looked a bit daft to suddenly dive away and be like frantically shooting around me. It kind of took away some of that stylish slow mo kind of shooting to have them just burst out next to me and be running through me and that kind of thing. It was just weird. Anyway, an aside. So we've kind of crept into gameplay, and I think I will quickly go through uh, our last forum post uh, just to kick us off into that. Uh, Tolkien Taters, again on the forum, says, This is an interesting game to play in 2022. It's a lot of fun, but mechanics-wise, it's a bit of a mess. However, I think it does have a standout look, and the absurd amount of destruction really helps recreate the John Woo action aesthetic. The environmental action acrobatic moves can be a little too frustrating to pull off consistently. As for the shooting, it's fun as hell, and I don't understand why we don't have more shooters with the slow-mo mechanic. The story is kind of awful, and it's unclear why you would bring in Chow Young-Fat for an English-speaking role instead of having a Cantonese audio option. That being said, it's worth checking out if you have a PC or 360-slash-PS3. Yeah, on that, I think the the particular environmental acrobatic move that I found a bit frustrating was uh, sort of jumping off the walls. 
I felt like I should be able to use that instead of just have it randomly happen occasionally when I was facing a certain way. Don't know. Anyway. So uh, the main mechanic for the game, shooting, obviously. Um, I read a very generous uh, description which said, you get to use pistols and assault rifles and submachine guns and shotgun. No, there's one of each. You get a golden pistol, which is essentially your magnum, and then regular pistols, which you can dual wield as you can with submachine guns. But there's one of each type of weapon. Uh, another kind of weird thing is the uh, slow-mo kill cam you're so fond of, Ryan. Um, when you do the um, precision aim, even if you do it with a shotgun, it's a single same caliber <laughs> bullet that comes out of the pistol or the assault rifle or the SMG or the LMG. Doesn't matter. Never tried it with a rocket launcher, to be fair. I think if you watch the like the way that it snaps into that first person viewpoint or whatever it is, like the the sight mm. viewpoint, you do very quickly see that he like whips a regular turns, one of the silver the pistol. pistols out. Okay, that, that that makes sense. But yeah, just thought it was a bit odd when when that happened. But yeah, you might be right. Maybe it's supposed to be his pistol. Um, as mentioned, and, and Ryan, you've uh, kind of touched on, there are damage mapped impact points. So where you shoot the enemy matters. That goes for regular shooting of enemies as well. They will be damaged where you shoot them. So it's not just headshots and body shots. It is kind of each limb. And if you shoot them somewhere that's not quite so crucial for their well-being, uh, enemies can kind of get back up and they'll slowly recover and then pull their gun back out and try and get to you. How did we feel the shooting was in this? Given it is a shooter, and as we've said, the story's probably not going to keep you going through it. So did the shooting. Uh, Leah, let's start with you. I mean, I as as I kind of mentioned, I'm not the best with mouse and keyboard, so there's mm. you know there there is a um, a certain amount of accuracy that you can get with just being able to point your mouse cursor at stuff and hit yeah. the button. But I don't know. Maybe I just needed to um, to mess with the settings a little more. I don't know if there was like mouse sensitivity settings that I could have tweaked to make it better for me, but some of the weapons and again maybe i just i just wasn't using the correct weapons all the time but air quotes correct weapons um but i found that there were some points where things looked like they should be hitting and they weren't uh because you know you get the reticle mm. being red when you are over something that you can damage and sometimes i would be shooting at something and the the worst part for this was like enemies that didn't move much and i'm thinking particularly of the snipers yeah. and there mm -hmm. were a couple of sections where i was trying to take down a sniper and my reticle was red and i'm trying to you know not actually expose myself to the sniper too much yeah. but i just wasn't hitting them even though it looked like i should have been yeah. i don't think that the, the the shooting was bad by any stretch I, I and again it could just be me because this is not my preferred way to to do this kind of thing but i it felt a little off to me in some situations uh now that said i i love the shotgun in this <laughs> i i was a yeah. big fan I tried to carry a shotgun and then something that could hit from a distance, preferably like an assault rifle. But uh, sometimes if I couldn't have that, then then pistols are good, too. So that's actually an, in the, the missing when you're at a distance is actually uh, an intentional mechanic, I believe, because if I looked very closely and put my nose right up to the screen and I was shooting at a distance with the assault rifle, I could see the bullets actually hitting around where my reticle was, whereas if I was using a pistol... I would be on target. So it is a spread of the bullets when you're firing them in quick succession. So even though you're 
actually aiming at them, only a few of the bullets will hit. Uh, so that doesn't make it any more satisfying. I'm not defending it. It was seemingly intentional that at a distance you're going to be less accurate with, which makes sense for an SMG, but I agree when you've got a rifle, mm. you kind of feel like you should be able to be a bit more accurate. And I think there's and even it, something in that. like the descriptions that says like the, the rifle is more accurate for distances, which, I mean, yes, it is more accurate, but it's maybe not as accurate as I would like. As you would want to be, yeah. I think it's telling that there's no sniper rifle in yeah. this as well. I think probably you're right. The reason the shotgun feels so great is they kind of want you to be standing two feet in front or diving two feet in front of someone, uh, hitting them um, with it. But yeah, yeah. Um, Ryan, how about you? Uh, shooting was clearly something you enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, even just the regular gunplay, I found to be pretty enjoyable. You know, I think they they appropriately scale the um the arenas that you fight in to keep combat like in fairly close quarters you know there are some situations like leah was talking about where you do have to kind of like take somebody out from the other side of the map but most of it is fairly face to face and you know it's just kind of like catching people in between uh, some of the dense obstacles in the environment um one of my favorite things is that there are quite frequent environmental traps that you can set up, not just exploding barrels, but you could also drop like neon signs on people from above. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're observant about your surroundings, you can usually find kind of clever ways to, to take difficult enemies out. Um, and then one of the unusual things that I noticed that I don't know if I've seen in a lot of games is um, almost like a shooting gallery type of mechanic where enemies from inside buildings there will be metal plates that cover some of the windows and have hinges on the top. And so when they shoot at you from behind, those windows will briefly pop open and so they can get a few shots out at you and then the window will close again. And so you have to like shoot them during that brief window when the when that metal flap is open. And uh, it feels very carnival games, but it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, you can really feel the the midway arcade, mm. and in case yeah, of the games yeah, director, sure. almost like like from pinball and arcade sort of era, and and the the helicopter sort of turret section as well. This could kind of be an on rail shooter, if not for the fact that they wanted you diving around the place in slow mo. Uh, yeah, there's some definite lineage and and hangovers there. I think yeah, there are some points where you are literally on rails, just sliding down the. In slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> the slow-mo was handled nicely in that you had your own kind of like stamina meter that uh so you couldn't just go into slow-mo whenever you want to. It was kind of something you'd have to save up for and replenish over time, kind of choose your moments. But uh yeah, it's a I, I think it's a pretty good system. So I, I, I find the moment to moment gunplay to be pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of agree with everything that's been said. I think that there's a little bit of this that's maybe slightly too loose and slightly too squirrely. It's a game that gives you a small amount of resources, like weapon-wise, and a small amount of things to play with, and it repeats them a good number of times. But then doesn't really, it doesn't really get to the point where it outstays its welcome. And like the the seven or eight different boss fights have all slightly got their own mechanics and and certain ways of dealing with them that that work better than others. So it's not anything that's going to absolutely blow you away, but it's something that can be. It remains competent for the maybe five to six hours that it took me to play through it. Um, one thing that I think is important that I want to mention is that the there are four different difficulties in this. I played this this week on the normal difficulty. I think it gives you an easy, normal, and hard when you start. And then either when you beat it, 
at all or you beat it on hard it then unlocks a fourth even harder one and i was looking back at my achievements recently and i think the one of the reasons that i actually had kind of a negative opinion of the game like in my mind was because the first time i played it i went straight to the hard difficulty and then after mm. i did that i also played it on the hard boiled difficulty which is even wow. more difficult and it is difficult i remember there being multiple mm. points in this that were especially a couple of the boss fights were real horrible like you will try this 50 times and reload the checkpoints and a lot of the places mm. the checkpoints are not that close like you've got large arenas and stuff to deal with and on those harder difficulties where you're taking yeah. a lot of damage from each shot it's with the number of enemies that are coming out you really do have to just kind of hide behind a piece of cover and like take pot shots and it it, it almost kind of yeah. ruins the the way that you can just leap around and be daft and have fun with it on the the easier difficulties so i think my yeah like it's it's it can be two very different experiences depending on on where you go from the get-go um yeah the shooting is competent enough but uh I, I don't know if it was this time if it was actually something that's a bit weird with the camera settings in the game or possibly if my 360 controller has a bit of a, a sticking point on the the right stick but i did find there were places where like i just didn't seem to be able to move the the camera quickly enough or as quickly as i would like to and maybe mm. maybe that is something that i was doing wrong or something wrong with the controller but eh, for for how twitchy the game wants you to be i didn't think it was quite like up to scratch with it and just another point that ryan made about the the way it feels kind of arcadey I was getting like really big kind of light gun game vibes from some of the points on this, the the weird shooting gallery points and the spots where you specifically have to shoot down poles or blow up things to, to drop a, a section to get into the next part of the game. And one thing that really kind of nailed that home was when I watched the, the footage of the, the kind of the initial concept of this inside the psyops engine, the way that mm -hmm. you'd get the, the things like the pop-ups for the ammo and stuff coming up on screen during that also looked extremely kind of arcadey and light gun. It really reminded me of something like Time Crisis or um, Virtua Cop. So, yeah, just as a, a little aside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's weird for me. Uh, like, I enjoyed the shooting enough to think if this, if a sequel, we, we'll get there, uh, had been made, they could have really tightened this up and made it something quite you know, even more fun and they could have improved on it quite a bit. There was something enough there to, to make me think there's, you know, they've got something here, but I got to the end of a level. I haven't put much anything about the scoring system, although we have mentioned it in the notes simply because I got to the end of the level and I had no conception as to whether I was going to get an A minus, which was my highest ranking or an F, which was my lowest ranking. I got a B plus once and I'm not sure how. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what I was doing differently one to the other. And I'll tell you, I was doing nothing differently. I was just playing the game. And the way that I felt the game wanted me to play was dive everywhere, always be using meter, always be sliding up, down, left, right, anywhere you can, be in slow-mo when you can, get headshots and stylish kills and crotch shots if you're Ryan as much as possible. And I can only imagine, because on normal difficulty, I still hit some spikes where there's just so many enemies coming at me. And you are quite fragile. If you start getting shot, you can quite quickly end up with no health, which is where, Leah, you mentioned, I think, Ryan's... Or in Ryan's case, it was precision aim. In Leah, in my case, occasionally I was having to kind of 
spam the one button on my keyboard and use health. So I can't imagine increasing the difficulty and it lending itself to the way that I felt the game wanted me to play, which is don't care if you're getting shot, just do cool stuff. That's not congruent to me to a harder game than normal presented to me. Yeah, there is there is no cool stuff on like the hard-boiled difficulty. Most of the bosses... They do their like special shot, you know, the sniper from the guy at the end, the guy who does the thing. I think they yeah. call it like a Mustang shot or something. The guy who's got the, the shotgun that does like the one powerful thing that knocks you down. Most of those boss attacks will just wipe you out in one go. And then you're back like yeah. at least to the beginning of the bit where you're fighting the boss, possibly to like an arena before the boss is even properly there. And it is just grueling. Like it is no fun. It is not cool. You're just ducked behind a bar hoping that you don't get shot. <laughs> Yeah, which doesn't sound like a fun way to play to me, I have to no. say. Um, so we've touched on abilities. They largely break down, just for sake of completion and rounding off our gameplay section, into two different areas. One is tequila time, which is the meter meter that was uh, mentioned earlier. It sits under your health meter at the top, and you it refills over time. When you empty it, you run out, and you have to let it refill. But you can turn it on and off. In my case, with a space bar, obviously, in a controller, there'll be an input to do that. You turn it on and off manually, uh, and either let it all run out or let stop it and let it recharge. Or it will automatically kick in when you do what I have affectionately referred to as tequila dive, tequila mantle, tequila slide, tequila swing, or tequila trolley, which is variously diving towards and well, diving in any direction, but with an enemy in sight. If you are pointed roughly in the direction of an enemy, it will slow you down, uh, slow time down to let you shoot them. If you jump over something, if you slide down something, run up a banister or even if you just a light stood fitting. on a, a banister, like a solid banister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, like, highlight the things that you can interact with that will allow you yeah. to trigger tequila time if you're getting shot while yeah. you're up there. So it's Absolutely. pretty obvious what they want you to do in these situations. I will say that I used that less, I think, as the game went on. And I think it's mm-hmm. because maybe the novelty wore off a little bit for me. I It... it it's useful, but also since I could trigger it myself without actually having to jump on a banister or do, you know, yeah. whatever, that usually was easier for me to utilize than actually working my my battle tactics around whatever junk was in yeah. the room. Yeah, it would be nice if maybe the meter drained half as quickly if you're using an environmental yeah. object or something to kind of Some like kind of persuade incentive. you. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's like a negative aspect as well where if you're doing any of the things, like if you're on a ledge, like running up and down a ledge or on a trolley, you also cannot activate any of the tequila bombs, which are probably more yeah. useful to me than swinging off a off a chandelier and shooting stuff. So I tended to kind of stay on the ground and, yeah, just make liberal use of the activating, deactivating the tequila time. It's yeah. kind of sad. Yeah, it gives you but, more control you know, over movement. Um, so the second type of abilities, which are a bit more easily categorized, tequila bombs, named specifically after tequila's drink of choice, which is tequila and Sprite put into a glass and then slammed down hard on the uh, the bench, straight from hard boiled. That was that was the thing that tipped me off when when I started watching hard boiled. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, they did that in Sprite. <laughs> True story. I'm a little slow. Uh, yeah. So uh, these are doled out through the game. You don't have them all available at the beginning, but once you've got them all, you can use any of them. The meter builds up as you kill enemies. 
possibly as you take damage as well. Uh, you can... Uh, health is the first one, with a second portion of meter, which is split into kind of four uh, parts of a clock face, if you like. Uh, you can ha have precision aim. Uh, then barrage, which makes you invincible for a second and gives you infinite ammo on your, your guns um, and slightly slows down time. Uh, and then spin attack, which just puts you into a cinematic spin attack picture, any John Woo film, uh, where you take out all the visible enemies in the arena, usually to a maximum of like four or five, probably. That won't take down a boss in one, but it will take down any regular enemy. So, Ryan, which was your favorite, would you say? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I feel I've, I've kind of spoken about that. But I think a, a detail that is worth noting is that the spin attack is always or sometimes accompanied by doves as well, which is another John Woo signature. There's a lot so, of doves in this game. <laughs> to say that in Mission Impossible 2 they were used sparingly compared to this game is to tell you <laughs> how much they were in this game. Yeah, which actually hard-boiled technically does because in the opening action scene you are in a parlor with a bunch mm -hmm. of birds in cages but actually doesn't use doves as egregiously as some yeah, of John I was, Woo's I other. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I was, I was expecting more doves. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess the question for all of us, kind of the last question before we get on to sort of some of our wrap-up is do we think the, the gameplay we have just discussed captures, as was the goal of the game, John Woo's cinematic action style? Uh, John, would you like to kick us off with what you think? I'm going to say yes, possibly with some caveats that even in Hard Boiled, he does not kill 1,300 people, <laughs> probably. Like it's It yeah. still obviously has to make lots of exceptions for being a video game. But I think, yeah, there are, there are a lot of points in this where I sort of very noticeably saw pulls from the various John Woo films that I've seen in different ways, like you say, the doves mm -hmm. or the ridiculous like unloading loading gun scenes just yeah like i i just think of face off always because that's kind of probably my favorite of his films by a, a long way and the one that i've seen many many times and i know the action in that is just ridiculous there are similar things with like helicopters and speedboat chasers and like all sorts of ridiculous things go on that yeah i think this game kind of does about as good job of capturing something like that as i could imagine Ryan, how about you? I think it really does. You know, watching uh, Hard Boiled last night, I was surprised by the number of, like, some of the exact same things that I regularly do. Not the exact same things that I regularly do, but the exact same things that you are capable of doing <laughs> in this game. Like, you know, in the movie when he slides down the stair banister right at the beginning, shooting guns out of both of his hands, or there was even a point where he did dive kind of like stomach first onto a trolley and then you know, shot from across the room. And, you know, I think maybe if tequila time for being such a useful mechanic was reserved for those moments um, to kind of incentivize you to be a little bit more kind of environment focused rather than being able to trigger it at any time, like the uh, Red Dead Redemption type of slow-mo skill, it, it can kind of give you those action movie moments of, you know, the times at which you have the most control and you are the safest are when you are kind of taking the biggest like mobility risks, as it were. You're, when you're really kind of throwing yourself headfirst into a situation is when you're kind of yeah, protected when all your by chips that, are down. Yeah, by that character armor, as it were. But uh, yeah, you know, it was it was neat to see so many of those same choreographed type of moves um, carried over between the two. I, I yeah, I think it did a pretty good job. 
And Leah, having watched Hard Boiled yesterday, but obviously being a connoisseur of Face Off and the like for a long time, uh, did, did this do it for you? Did this speak to your John Woo fandom? It does a decent job with, uh, well, like John said, with some caveats. You know, it's it's a product of its time to some extent yeah. because, you know, they maybe didn't have quite the technology that they would have if they were trying to make something like Stranglehold today. So by that by that metric, you know, it, it maybe does fall short a little bit in some places, but it, it it does a pretty good job, I think, with some of the uh stylish things that you can do even if you don't always do them. Um and yeah, yeah. doves. There's there's a lot of doves. I also That's looked up uh how many people uh tequila kills in uh hard boiled and the answer according to this one website that I exhaustively researched and didn't definitely didn't just google uh it is 84 so um I don't think yeah. that that maps out to a uh kind of kill ratio that would be similar to stranglehold no, even if you multiply the time by 2 or 3 depending if, yeah no it doesn't even get close the one thing I will say is Cowland slums, when you start there, you don't see any enemies for a while. And there's a couple of sections like that in the mm. game where you're maybe only walking down a corridor or two, but the absence of enemies gave this game the most atmosphere, like the most tension that I'd felt throughout its entirety. Yeah. Because I got so used to every single environment just being enemies everywhere, kill everything. Whenever they weren't there, I was like, there's literally nothing to do here but walk forward. But it actually gave it a little bit of atmosphere. And I wonder if they could have done more with that by dialing back the enemy. They clearly could have done with dialing back the number of enemies. But just the absence of gameplay didn't make it an inherently boring moment, is I guess all I'm trying to say. Before we get on to the legacy of the game, I have to mention there's multiplayer. The one bullet point I have is that this was a mandatory inclusion at the request of Midway executives, according to, I didn't catch... This, aside from on Wikipedia, uh, producer John Vignocchi was uh, involved in this, uh, who was at Midway at the time, so it makes sense, but uh, I hadn't got credited elsewhere. That tells me all I need to know about why I was never interested in playing this yeah, multiplayer. you should Because it was very much of the era of everything has to have a multiplayer and nothing, almost nothing deserved to have a multiplayer. And also, as we've found with other types of games, games where one of the main mechanics is slow motion... It's very difficult do to do that successfully yeah. in multiplayer, yeah, without it feeling unbelievably unfair or just really turgid to, to play. D does anyone have uh, something to say on the multiplayer? Yeah, it's rotten. Mm -hmm. I played this with one of my okay. friends on the Xbox 360, and okay. my main remembrance from this is that when we were matched up with each other and loaded into a game, there was a loading screen to start the match from you know being ready, and they were, I'm not being hyperbolic, they were like a minute and a half, two minute long loading screens mm -hmm. to get into a match, and then a similar loading screen coming back out. So, not a great Ooh. start. No. Um, they also released the DLC map pack, which was, at the time, was relatively expensive, even by Xbox 360 DLCs. Yeah. I seem to remember, like, the average DLCs for these games was usually 800 Microsoft points, which is now the equivalent of about six or seven pounds. Uh, the one for Stranglehold was the uh, like slightly unreasonable 1,200 Microsoft points, which I think now has been turned into £10 or probably $15. And I remember watching this for ages and ages and ages, waiting for it to go on sale. As far as I'm aware, in 15 years of being in existence, unlike virtually everything else, as far as I'm aware, it has never had a price reduction. So 
the idea of this just being like an inclusion specifically because yeah. we want multiplayer in this game and we have to try and monetize it because people are making money out of it it really does have that smell all over it well there's a very good reason why the dlc never went on sale i think um but yes you're quite right 6th of december 2007 dlc was released it was 10 new multiplayer maps which is quite a sizable number of maps to be fair 21 new multiplayer skins um okay uh it, i as far as i can tell it was 360 ps3 only i'm not 100% sure on that because there wasn't as far as I'm aware a digital marketplace for the PC version I don't think it ever came to Steam so it was disc and how would you then add that in without a marketplace so I think console only apologies if that's not correct but as you can tell from my description of multiplayer I haven't touched it I wasn't interested John thank you that's, that's some really good context but as far as I can tell the reason for the DLC probably never going on sale and the digital release of of this kind of never being updated is Midway no longer exists certainly in the way it did then um the biggest legacy of this game and this game may be partially responsible for is that uh, Midway went through bankruptcy and closure which was a largely drawn out process between 2007 2009 when ownership changed hands and uh, the company was increasingly losing money year on year versus you know not fantastic uh, sales um uh, eventually they missed the deadline on 150 million dollar debt repayment which triggered an extra 90 million dollar penalty on top of that so they were 240 million pounds in debt and that was increasing year on year uh, eventually, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment in May 2009 cherry-picked out the Chicago studio who made this, who then became NetherRealm Studios and went on to make Mortal Kombat, and the Mortal Kombat franchise, uh, the Seattle studio, and the Wheelman franchise. We'll get on to why Wheelman was, was kind of notable in that in a second, but that was a, a name franchise attached to Vin Diesel, who was notable at the time. Midway was completely dissolved in March 2011, which led to the abandonment of Gunrunner, which was a sequel to Stranglehold, which was in production, originally called Stranglehold 2 as, as the kind of project name, but then changed over to Gunrunner, just Gunrunner, no Stranglehold attached to that. Uh, the reason being that it was intended to partner Chaoyun Fat's Inspector Tequila with, I've put in brackets here, noted gamesman, Vin Diesel. There were some rumours that it may have been the Wheelman character played by Vin Diesel, but it was meant to be a buddy cop game. There were, according to a YouTube video by Gaming Bolt, just to credit them, uh, the game had been in alpha stage for some sections in a playable alpha stage. And there has been a little bit of kind of leaked screenshots here and there. I don't know about footage. I couldn't find any. Again, cursory uh, sort of search for that. There was also a mooted uh, film adaptation of Stranglehold, which I would have loved to have seen what they made of the story, bringing that to a film. But all of this kind of went out when Midway was uh, bankrupted. So that kind of explains if there's no one in charge of the DLC, why there's no one to, to put it on, on any kind of price reduction and why the game was then never uh, brought over uh, on backwards compatibility or anything like that. So... Unfortunately, we will never see the Stranglehold sequel that we all crave. No, and if you want to get an achievement for shooting a multiplayer buddy in the testicles, you will have to pay £10 or the American equivalent to do so. Because, yeah, bizarrely, <laughs> you say that it's like it's gone now. 
the DLC is still available. So somebody, oh, yeah. I mean, some sort of person who scooped up some Someone's midway assets. Paid, but maybe it's just going to Microsoft and they don't have anyone to, to pay yeah. for it. I don't know. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I, I was curious. So I looked it up. Yeah, you can still get that 360 yep. uh, uh, yeah. DLC, $15. You can still get your yeah. tester kill achievement, which is definitely definitely not worth it, but still funny. <laughs> I don't know. If you're Ryan, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I probably should. <laughs> Feels weird that I haven't. <laughs> get it put on Game Pass, Ryan. There's an idea. <laughs> yeah, get a, it, re, yeah, get a digital copy created and put it on Game Pass and put the DLC on Game Pass. There you go. Yeah, I'll just say, uh, yeah, I'll sort out the backwards compatibility myself. Yeah, that, that's, that's Monday sorted. You'll get that done, Ryan. No <laughs> <problem>. <laughs> Let's get that in the Burger King games up there. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So I thought it, it worth touching on the legacy there. I've I've breezed through that. In all honesty, the midway mishandling, the the bankruptcy, the closure. There's a two hour discussion in and of itself. I barely touched on gathering information and just put some bullet points there of kind of how things unfolded. But there's all sorts about who owned what at which time and what sort of losses and tax cuts uh, were were taken to to essentially end up with midway being closed. Uh, and now just kind of re- uh, resigned to uh, a memory for those of us old enough to remember the existence of Midway arcade machines and the like. A sad end, and um, one that this game kind of plays part in, even though we're obviously not saying that Stranglehold's responsible or anything. There was uh, a lot going on at the time. Um, I think that kind of wraps up what we have to say about the game, but it doesn't wrap up what you have to say about the game. We've heard from some long-form correspondence, but every day on the day of recording from the Kane and Rinse Twitter uh, account, we put out a request for three-word reviews. We did that today. We got responses, more than I was expecting. So thank you very, very much to everyone who spotted that tweet and replied with three words that sum up their opinions or experience of the game. Uh, we have six here, and Ryan, I wonder if you can kick us off with the first. It's Hayes Hill, says slips, slide, shoot. Chris Farrelly says bullet time, meh. Andrew Elmore says keeps getting better. Robert Farley says hard-boiled brilliance. Simon Nelson contrasts that with soft-boiled disappointment. And uh, Dave Salad rounds us out with ridiculous bullet time. Some nice sort of uh, uh, couplets there, I think, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for that correspondence and to those who went to the forum and to our Patreon page and left their thoughts there. It's much appreciated. Uh, obviously, sometimes, like today, we can fit everything in. Sometimes we can't, but it's all very valuable uh, to get sort of a feel for how you feel about the game. Our summaries are the last sort of word we get on the uh, on the game. I think I can be quite brief, so I'll kick us off. I have a soft spot for uh, the, the film, uh, having watched it. 20 years ago probably um and was was really excited for this at a time when i enjoyed this but it wasn't the best thing ever i was surprised that i still enjoyed it a bit when i went back to it but i can't say that it's a game i would recommend everyone play it's very much of its time it's important in the history of midway it's uh, a kind of important marker in what uh we had as adapted uh video games and as a Max Payne fan, I'm going to go back and play even the first Max Payne over this. That's not to say I didn't enjoy it, but it misses some of the the quips, the the dialogue, some of what makes uh, John Woo's style of Hong Kong action cinema um, goofy 
I don't get much of that from this game. It's stylish, but the goofiness comes from me jumping off a wall when I didn't intend to, or an enemy walking through me because I was right next to the door. It's mechanical frailness that makes it goofy, not intentional goofiness as a, a construct of the world in which the the film inhabits. Um, so that that's kind of a, a weird kind of jarring aspect to it. But I felt cool for a while using each of the abilities. It makes it not just a regular shooter. Uh, and I definitely had fun replaying it for this. I'm sad we didn't get a sequel. I think that's kind of the last thing I would say here. I think this could have been improved upon uh, in a sequel. And it, we're just not getting it at this point. Uh, but that's kind of my lasting memory is is what we didn't get rather than what we did, I think, unfortunately. Uh, John, how do you feel about Stranglehold? You know what? Like One of the best things about doing this podcast is that sometimes you can replay a game that you played 15 years ago and didn't particularly enjoy and actually get like a, a new perspective on it and, and take something away from it that you didn't previously have. So mm. like as I've mentioned a couple of times, I think my initial experience with stranglehold from between 10 and 12 years ago when i played it a few times was fairly sour because i think i think basically i played it wrong i played it on difficulties that were too hard we attempted to play the multiplayer that left a real bad taste and i've always been kind of angry about that dlc being as expensive as it was and then not having very much substance to it so you know they're all kind of things that are my fault but at the same time, I've never thought very highly of Stranglehold because that was my experience. And I said before, it was a game that I never really expected I would ever return to. But being sat down here a decade later with a different sort of viewpoint on it, replaying it, talking about the history and the minutiae, and I really enjoyed like unlocking all the stuff in the in the concept store and watching all the daft little videos and some of the concept art that we didn't talk about for... Mm -hmm. The levels, there are these really, really beautiful, like sort of matte watercolor looking paintings of some of the environments, including some like abandoned levels and things. And it's like it's totally worth going and looking at some of that stuff because it's it's not really how the game is presented. It's a very different viewpoint on on the game. So like all of those things, playing it again on the easier difficulty and just kind of having a fun, like cool guy blasting through it has really kind of brought me around and made me realize that actually it's a better game than I've given it credit for in the past. I think that probably with a situation like this, that's really, you know, that's kind of the best thing that you can ask for, for, for being forced to sit down and replay something. So, yeah, um, I think I'm also kind of surprised with some of the history that the game was as popular and as well-regarded as some of the, the mm. statistics that you pulled out at the beginning, because that's yeah. not, yeah, again, that's not really how I would have thought of it. But yeah, it's been, it's been real nice to have this replay and like, you know, change my opinion or something. So wicked. Enjoyed it. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good, it's a good seven and a half out of 10. <laughs> um, uh, an interesting aside that you've just uh, jogged my memory of is so Tiger Hill, obviously John Woo's company, John Woo, uh, Terrence Chang producers on this. And they're responsible for, obviously, the characters that came over into this, but the premise, the story, that kind of thing. But Tiger Hill also did the storyboarding, which is almost certainly the watercolour mm. paintings that you mentioned. Uh, so it's interesting that maybe the vision from the uh, the film 
side of the production, the vision for what how this would look and how it would play wasn't necessarily in step with what was able to be delivered technically, and maybe that's a, a, a slight disparity there. I do wonder what could be done now that couldn't then that maybe would bridge that gap, but yeah. we'll never yeah. know. And I think, I think if I can make one more point, I'm mm-hmm. I'm genuinely gutted that it's, okay, tons of factors you mentioned, but this, this game is a large part of what ended up being the straw that broke midway's back because... Yeah, it, it feels like it's been a long time. Obviously, it's 15 years since they've, well, 12, 15 years since they've really released anything. But I think back to like 20 years ago, Midway were putting out some of the games that were really cool and really exciting back then. I loved some of their original Xbox things and previous mm. to that. And it's it's a real shame that they've, yeah. they've stopped. Yeah, yeah, I can only echo that. And uh, thank you for your summary. Thank you. Uh, next up, Leah, how did you find Stranglehold? So I um, kind of waffled on whether I was going to drop out of this show um, just because I had a lot going on. I've got a lot of shows and a lot of just other stuff. And this would have seemed like kind of the easy one to not get into because I don't have a huge emotional connection to it or anything like that. But I'm really glad I didn't because it's it's I don't think that this is a great work of art game or anything, but I, I it was it was weird enough and unusual enough and different enough from the types of things that I normally play and from the things that I played at the time that it would have been released that it 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 just was something different and that's something that I tend to like about about Canerance just being on Canerance in total is that sometimes I end up playing things that I really would not have gotten around to otherwise so I don't know if 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 it were a little bit easier to play this game then I might be more inclined to recommend it. If you have a functioning 360, then it is pretty easy to get a hold of. So maybe if you do, and this sounds interesting, then go for it. I don't know that I really recommend doing it the way that I did, which was playing on the PC version. Uh, At least not, I mean, if you really want to play the PC version, I would maybe recommend looking into some kind of um, controller support However, you can get that functioning because I did not like the mouse and keyboard controls. And maybe somebody else would have a better time about that. But um, but yeah, I I can't I can't really recommend that you go to great lengths to play this game if you don't have the nostalgia for it like I didn't. But it still holds up well enough for what it is. I think I would probably go like a six out of ten rather than a seven out of ten. But at the time, it was probably closer to a seven or a seven and a half. I don't, I don't know, man. That's good game scores. Who knows? I enjoyed my time with it uh, well enough. I don't think that I will be going back to it unless uh, James, you want to like get in on some multiplayer in the um, in the GOG version. Which, <laughs> the GOG version, um, yeah. yeah, that's that's uh, we can talk about that off air. But um, yeah, that's. I don't. I don't know if we'll get the achievements for that. Oh though, man, unfortunate that thing. is a problem. Uh, okay, we'll have to think about that. But but <laughs> but anyway, I don't see myself going back to it. But it, it's an interesting. I, I don't want to say experiment because I don't think that's what this was. But for me, it was maybe a little bit of an experiment to see if this is a type yeah. of game that uh, appealed to me really. And it's maybe not in in entirety. But I'm glad that I played it. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I stand. I don't I don't know that I would necessarily say go out of your way, but if you have the opportunity, sure, give it a shot. It's like six or eight hours, maybe less. Uh, so yeah. Maybe watch Heart Boiled if you haven't, though, because that's that's a pretty good movie. I was just going to say, it's Stranglehold should be easier to play than it is, 
Hard Boiled is way harder to watch than this is to yes. play. And I would still suggest make that <laughs> no, effort, that not I this effort. That, I would say, is worth putting in the, the effort to, to go and find uh, if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little more iffy on the game, but uh, not, not negative, just a little iffy. No, sure. Okay, Captain Testicle to finish us <laughs> off. Sorry, Ryan, <laughs> your summary. <laughs> so this game actually kind of reminds me of, uh, or puts me in the same headspace as Sleeping Dogs, and not just for the same, for the reason that they're both kind of like set in Hong Kong, mm. are probably inspired by a lot of the same movies, you know, um, Sleeping yeah. Dogs. And then uh, Hard Boiled has a major character who's a undercover police officer who's kind of you know, making up his mind as he goes, whether he wants to be loyal to the police or to the criminal gang and make his 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 bed over there. Uh, so maybe there is some kind of shared lineage between the two. But the thing about um, Sleeping Dogs that really kind of stands out to me is that it took kind of an established formula and refocused its kind of focus of attention onto something different. So, you know, it took the Grand Theft Auto formula and focused almost entirely on hand-to-hand combat, made gun combat really rare. And so it, it changed the dynamic completely in a way that I think makes Sleeping Dogs really stand out and really kind of hold up even today as like a really interesting, you know, game of its type. It's still one of my favorite, like big open world city crime type of games. Um, it also has a lot of kind of contextual environmental attacks and stuff like that, you know, similar to this game. And um, and so that's kind of what I picture this game as being as well i don't think this game is as well-rounded or as polished as sleeping dogs but it's it's a game that had a different idea or a different perspective on um a genre that is was pretty popular at the time is still fairly popular now and you know did one thing very well and you know i, I think the dynamic acrobatic gunplay um, really comes through here. I think it's been done better in other games since and probably even beforehand, but um, I I really enjoy the core gameplay loop of being improvisational with your shooting, you know, really using the environment to, to kind of use to your advantage. And so, you know, I think that this game does have a pretty satisfying gameplay loop. I think you don't need to see any farther beyond the first level. I think especially since the second level is pretty much a blight town situation. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty steep decline in quality very quickly. I don't know if the demo is out there anymore, but the game itself is cheap enough on, on GOG sales and in uh, Xbox 360 bargain bins that if you're able to give it a try playing through that first level, I think there's, there's plenty to enjoy beyond the um, John Wu slow motion crotch shooting simulator, which is how I, uh, affectionately refer to the game even more so like it's not necessarily a game that i would say has had like a huge impact on the industry but it's one of those games where i wouldn't be surprised if a major very successful release in the future kind of lists it as one of its points of lineage you know in the same way that you see sometimes companies play with new technologies or new ideas in kind of lower risk uh types of scenarios like how um, Driver San Francisco, you know, they were playing with the idea of inhabiting any car and switching between cars and how that ended up kind of ballooning out to years later, the team ended up working on Watch Dogs Legion, where you could play as anyone in the city and kind of swap between characters in that way. And so, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm curious if 
this little curio from so many years back is going to take roots and is going to inspire somebody to do something that's similar in a way. And, and, you know, maybe since then there's been better touch points and Max Payne 3 and Sunset Overdrive, Doom 2016, but there's enough here that is kind of uniquely its own that I'd be curious to see if it kind of comes around again. Overall, I'd say, uh, yeah, give it an A for action, a C for variety, an A for crotch shooting, and a B for graphics. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ryan. Uh, well, that's the lot on Ryan Zhao Presents Nutshot. It <laughs> remains for me, James, to thank Leah, John, and Ryan, who's also our editor for this issue, as well as all of our correspondents uh, via Three Word Reviews, Forum, and Patreon. Plus, of course, as always, each and every one of you for listening. Next time, in issue 532, there's no room for me, Ryan, or John on Karen's boat across the sticks. Leah, however, has got her ticket and will be joined in Hades by Brian, Rich, and host Leon. Go to hell the lot. <laughs> <laughs>